0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. My name is Louisa, and I'm your host. This week, you'll hear Steffi's story. Steffi is a mum of three, with two angel babies and one rainbow baby. Listen as Steffi takes us on her journey, which started when she was just 11 years old, when she was diagnosed with two different types of cancer, Steffi was told she'd be infertile, and when the time came, she would have to find alternative routes to have a baby. Steffi has been through so much. Listen as she talks about IVF and surrogacy and the loss of her two beautiful babies, Isla and Marley. Steffi has her own charity, the Faith and Hope Foundation. She is working hard to help other bereaved families. You will hear how Steffi has had to overcome so many hurdles, and yet she still finds time to give back. Steffi has so much courage, she is inspiring. So please join us. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this today, Steffi. I'm really excited to hear your story. So would you like to introduce yourself for us, please?
1: Yeah, of course. I'm Steffi Goodwin um, and I'm here to tell you my side of the story and about my babies.
0: Okay. So, like I said, explained to you, what I do is I ask everybody else to tell their story and from the beginning and what that looks like to you. So where does your beginning start, Steffi?
1: So my beginning started in 2005. Um, I was 11 years old and got diagnosed with leukaemia. At the same time, I got diagnosed with a different cancerous tumour that was in my chest, the size of a rugby ball. So with that obviously come chemotherapy, radiotherapy, quite immediate effect of um, starting treatment which meant, although I was really young, but I did actually start my period. So I did, it was that summer holidays that I just started. So I did actually produce eggs. Um, It was the month later I got diagnosed, later that August, that then I got diagnosed with leukaemia, which meant there was no time that they could actually save my eggs um, because because it was that aggressive. Basically, they just said it's either life or not like eggs aren't important basically which being 11 i didn't really understand i was just like yeah okay fine (laughs) sort of thing didn't think about babies at 11 years old (laughs) although i wasn't really like into my adults and stuff but um yeah so obviously fast forward um had treatment like until 2006 wasn't working so i had to have a bone marrow transplant so it just meant a bigger impact on my body my ovaries womb everything that was to do with fertility. Again, didn't really think much of it, although I was told I'd be infertile from the get-go, which was upsetting, but again, just didn't really know. Like my mum said, you have to be alive to have kids and this is the hurdle we've got to get through. Um, it's fine. Come out of treatment, my bone marrow was successful, which meant I was in remission, which was good. Um, Again, it was always at the back of my mind that I would never be able to have kids naturally. There was options, but couldn't ever have children naturally. Um it wasn't until I was like 18 and started getting into like my real relationships as such, what I thought. Um and then it come, it hit me like, oh, how on earth do I have this conversation with partners that I'm actually infertile? Um so I did start looking down the IVF route just to see what it entails, what I have to do. Um,
0: any oh, can I just ask that's just hit me when you said we're having to explain to your partners that you can't have children how was that for you well how did you manage how did you handle that because I'm sure there's probably lots of women listening to this and thinking oh my god I have to do that how, how do I do that yeah it was awful
1: I mean it's I just never knew how to approach the situation do you on a first date like by the way I'm infertile <laughs> or do you wait until you're like quite deep in and then you say it but then it's, it wasn't ever fair on the guy because then he's got deep in and if he wanted children then he it was always a really tricky I mean I'm lucky enough to only be in like two what I thought was serious relationships so um the first person he did sort of take it really well but we were young we were 18 like in a relationship mm. so it was I like, oh, will cross that bridge and we get to it but in my head I was like I need to know like I need to know like um what it entails and again I was a bit naive to it like I knew I couldn't but I didn't know the answer of what I need to do if I wanted to have a baby Yeah. um but also I've heard that like some people are saying like okay let's not go any further because I want kids and I want them naturally and I don't want to have to go through all of that I've I really struggled with basically telling partners with my current partner now that I went through the journey with I actually I was that deep in and I knew this was it then well I was 23 um 23 22 and my friends started talk about like their own serious relationships they talk about when they want their babies and stuff it's like oh my gosh it's actually serious now like I'm gonna to have to do some research before I even tell him that I'm infertile. And actually, it come out I did a charity ball um, in adol for leukemia, and raising money for Adam Oaks Hospital. And in my speech, without even thinking about it, I was basically explaining my journey of having leukemia. And actually, although I'm in, I was in remission. I've still had ongoing problems that like I had to have hip replacements, knee replacements, and then it made me infertile, so I couldn't have children, not even thinking I haven't even had this conversation. Well, as I was saying I then realised I haven't actually had this conversation with Jacob, and he's here. And it was the following day, I had a family barbecue, and he sort of pulled me to one side, and he goes, I don't need to sound bad. It doesn't bother me. But my friend said to me, oh, so Jacob, like, you and won't be able to have kids. And even Jacob then said, oh, why we haven't had that conversation. So in a way, it's probably really bad. But on my part but it's because I was so scared I was so scared for him to be like well that's let's call it a day then but luckily he was so supportive like in fact I probably could have told him when I first met him and he would have it was over his head because he was just like that's fine he goes there's ways he goes we'll do it together because I said to fair I don't really know much about it either and yeah from the get-go like i was thinking why don't i tell him sooner
0: but oh that's lovely though that's really nice to hear
1: yeah luckily
0: like he was really supportive
1: so yeah so that was about 2015 and we didn't actually start looking into then ivf side of things until 2018 um and that was a roller coaster in itself like there's so much information to take in on that plus then it meant that i had to have donor eggs because I didn't produce eggs, so that was really hard, like, on my part, because, like, it was hard enough to know that I was infertile, but then to sort of get told I won't biologically be related to the baby, although I'm carrying, which sounds really ridiculous, because it means that if you can carry them, what's the problem? But I think it was also that that I had to come to terms with it. And then when we went for our IVF appointments, I had to like a characteristic thing. So it basically, I had to put what I want my donor to look like, to look like me, (laughs) if that makes sense. I couldn't say, oh, blonde hair, blue eyes, just have a donor because they look nothing like me. Um, But obviously it would be Jacob's, so they would be connected. Um, So yeah, so then once we come to terms with it, I had loads of tests and they said that my body was fit enough to carry just with a donor egg. So we went ahead and made, well, we had to wait a year. So it was on the waiting list for a year. Um, and what we actually. It like? It was hard, only because we never knew when that call was going to come. So part of you couldn't plan ahead, but then part of you, it didn't come soon enough. Although we knew it was going to be a waiting list, it will be said six months to a year. So that's six months past. It's like, still had to call then seven months and eight months if that makes sense it was a bit like oh it's never going to happen they're not going to find a match like um so then you sort of just carry on with your life just thinking like oh it happens when it happens but it's not happening I don't know it's a bit of a weird one to explain I think yeah yeah, very much so and then obviously that means we're getting that little bit older and friends started having babies and talked about like oh we're gonna try and I'm like Like I can't have that excitement if that makes sense but then weirdly I got the call a year later on Jacob's birthday (laughs) to say that we've got matched. so that was really lovely um I remember going in with his little presents and I said I've got one more present and he's like no you brought me enough and I was like oh we've got a match (laughs) like it's happening (laughs) so that was really really lovely that really like put like the icing on the cake sort of thing of it's happening like we've we've got there <laughs> but then it's the next roller coaster of uh-oh it's happening like is it gonna work yeah. what's the entail? so yeah fast forward with all that and we went ahead for appointments I had to go on like, hormone replacement tablets because I didn't produce any hormones at all um because everything got white if that makes sense um did you not everything- have any periods or anything then? everything got cut, no periods, my ovaries weren't working, um, as in how they should naturally. They did with help, so I had to be put on a hormone replacement pill, um, and then that helped stimulate, like, my body to feel like a woman, if that makes sense. So, basically, I got sent into, basically, um, the menopause at 11 years old. Oh. Nothing produced, so I got put on, like, a million, like, Hormone injections, hormone tablets, to set up a cycle, so a fake cycle almost, ready for transfer for the embryo to come in, to go in artificially. Okay. So how six. long do you have to be on those for them? So in the end, I was on them for about five months. So we made the embryos. We had seven embryos, but six embryos made it um past five days. Um so they all went. They all got frozen, bar one. That was a fresh cycle. Um, But I had to go on a hormone treatment for about three months. And then it ended up being one month longer because my cycle didn't match up enough ready for my transfer. Because, yeah, there were like forced periods, so enough to clear out the body. And then the womb line had to get thick enough to insert an embryo. Otherwise, it wouldn't have stuck. Okay. Um, so finally got my womb line into shape. Um, to the right thickness and then my cycle matched ready for the transfer and then so we had the embryo transfer which just felt really bizarre because many people just make babies and don't see the science to it we physically saw it on screen going in like really it was magical really like thinking about it like you saw this tiny little embryo come out on this tube and then they put the ultrasound on my belly and on this camera you could just see this baby like going in and just sitting on your womb line ready to form it was really magical like because you never really see the artificial side yeah. of like that so then it was it's like right done see you later in two weeks time take a test and it's like oh literally is that what you do like I didn't even want to go to the toilet after so I thought I was going to pee the embryo out <laughs> um and yeah it was two weeks later I was tempted to test earlier but I was like no no no, don't do it to yourself Two weeks later, we had a positive test and it was amazing. Like the feeling was just unreal because it's just like, that was like 15 years of being told or thinking that you wouldn't ever be able to have a baby. And I had a positive test in front of me and yeah, like having to like go and tell family and friends just was like, i have finally done it, <laughs> it's happening. Um, yeah, we went for, our, well, we went for our six week scan and there was a heartbeat which was the next nervous thing because it was like, it can stick, but it doesn't mean it will survive until six or seven weeks. Oh, okay. Um, So we had our six and a half week scan. It was so, a half
0: you, week. so just to check then, so do you have extra scans and things for your pregnancies?
1: You're supposed to. Okay. You're supposed to. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fine. So this is where it all went a bit wrong because, um, so that that's so you can sort of um, be discharged from the IVF clinic. So okay. they stated that there's a heartbeat, you're well and good. You can now be transferred to your normal local hospital and they'll look after you from there, knowing that you're high risk because it's done through IVF and your background. So yeah, I was really happy, got to our six week. There was a heartbeat. Then not the awkward way of waiting to our 12 week scan, which was like, Oh my gosh, that seems ages away now. <laughs> um, but again, I already felt my body was changing and everything. So I was sort of had high hopes, got to my 12 week scan. And again, everything come back fine. You had this little like, better image than just this little dot from six weeks and baby wasn't playing ball, was just like kicking a fast, couldn't get a good picture, but it was all good. Um Yeah. And then we had our 20 week scan and it was all a bit of a blur because again I was just assuming like I felt my belly was growing um I didn't have any morning sickness or anything like that but I just felt like it was all happening rightly um and the, the sonographer coming in and was like oh do you know if it's we're a girl and we were planning on doing this like gender thing and we said oh yeah can you just write it down on a piece of paper um and he was like oh I'll put the female sign on a male sign for you so it gave us all the big exciting things different first things first let's check if the baby's healthy and I was like oh yeah of course that's why we're here like you just get so carried away um and he was on my belly for a long time and like saying oh this is the heart and this is the lungs and brain so you thought, okay yeah ticking boxes and all of a sudden he was like I'm just gonna double check he goes because baby was like a bit flippant I and mean, we knew from our 12 week scan like the baby was just flipping around and doing all sorts so it's hard to get measurements because oh, I'm just going to get a second opinion just because I'd need to measure the length but she the baby's not actually well we didn't know if having a boy or a girl at this point isn't actually like stretched out so we got a second opinion and he goes right we'll call you back in in a minute he goes go outside drink loads of water jump up and down come back in come back went back in and he was like I think everything's fine, but I'm just going to talk to the consultant. Um, We'll put you in a waiting room and we'll bring you back in. So then like my mind just started going a bit crazy. But instead of putting us in the waiting room, they put us in a small box room. So straight away, I was like, something's wrong. And this time my mum was with us, but Jacob, bless him, he had to run back to work at this point. So, um, cause it overtook longer than what we thought of the coming in and going out and, um, next minute, a consultant come in, the snog, two sonographers come in and I just, before they even spoke, I just burst out crying. I was like, something's not right here. And they said, looking at the scan, baby's not growing to size. And I, and mom's like, yeah, but she's petite. Like that's normal. But they're like, we think it's more, um, but it could just be, she's not the baby's not catched up yet. Um, we'll bring you back in in two weeks time. But in the meantime, we'll transfer you to Luton Dunstable because they're more of a specialist hospital. Um, but the way they were speaking, partly they weren't really being exact because I think even they weren't 100% sure. Um, and by this time, because I hit 13 weeks, I come off all my hormone tablets. Um, all of my IVF side medication, I come off it. Um, so they did say that could be a factor. Um, so yeah, they then rang me the next day and gave me this two week wait for this appointment. And I just rang them back. I said, I can't physically wait two weeks. Like this is killing me inside. I've I've waited years for this. Like I can't. Like, like we need to make sure we can see a difference in growth. Two weeks has to be a thing. And then luckily, like two days later, they rang us and said no. Can you go up the next day? I think they had a little bit of a briefing of a meeting, like, actually, we can't let this go any longer. And went to this specialist hospital and the consultant scanned my belly for ages. And he came off and he kept saying, like, has your waters broke? Have you noticed any more water? Have you been bleeding? And I hadn't been bleeding. I definitely didn't notice any more water than normal. And he basically said the baby was... She'd been, like five weeks behind, but was still breathing, as in still had a heartbeat. She was still moving absolutely fine um, and everything. Um, so I was like, well, what, what do we do from here? And he goes, it could be chromosomes. You could have just had like a random chromosome, doesn't, won't happen every pregnancy, but we need to check. He goes, but it can cause a miscarriage here and there. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like it was a lot of information to, from going to a twenty-week scan, just assuming everything will be fine, then being told well she might be a little bit small, to then being told there could be major problems, um, and she should have been um, she should have been measuring at three hundred and fifty grams at this point, which was only one hundred and fifty grams in weight.
0: It was quite a lot smaller.
1: So quite a big difference. Um, so then obviously had to go away and say discuss if I wanted the chromosome um thing but again we then we jigs out and put what well, we need to rule out things for them to know how to help us um so we had the test i can't remember the word for it. it's a long name <laughs> um so they put a needle into my belly take a bit of the fluid and tested there and then, well they tested it but it took three days to come back but luckily the heartbeat was still there afterwards so he said we haven't disturbed your pregnancy so then we said, what just happens now? And you said it was an IGRU, so it's a growth disorder. So our aim was either to get to 24 weeks and he'll pull the baby out and help or get the baby to 500 grams and we'll get the baby out to help. He it goes, we're easier to help the baby on the outside than we are on the inside. So we had to go away with all this information. Three days later, the chromosome test come back and it's completely normal. So we knew it wasn't a chromosome disorder or anything. So once a week, we were going to a local hospital just to check for a heartbeat. So first week, come fine. Second week, come fine. And I was twenty four weeks and five days. Went to our week scan, and there was no heartbeat. So two days later, she could have get pulled. She could have got pulled out which obviously is just really hard to swallow because it's just like, it was just two days. Although she, when she was born, she was only 200 grams. So in that nearly four weeks, she only put on 50 grams. And that was with being put on aspirin. So he said what should have happened with any IVF cycle, you have to be on aspirin because my blood's already thicker being pregnant as well as it was an IVF baby. So it's through artificial it's artificially done plus being on loads of hormones and um, my blood was so thick that it couldn't get through to the placenta to then help baby grow so and so I was like just put my aspirin like right now and he was like too far gone like you're halfway like I can do it and we can hope for the best but we don't we don't think it'll change anything but I wasn't in a book I wasn't I didn't want to terminate I just thought I'd rather let nature take its cause than me making that big decision of not giving that every little bit of hope. So that was really hard because, yeah, we went into the clinic that day and she was like, oh, yeah, I'm really struggling, but it. it might just be early morning. Then went through to the actual stenographer and straight away was like, yep, no heartbeat, here's a paper towel, clean your belly and go back into that room. And I was like, what? Like, this didn't have a clue. Yeah, as a matter of fact, like that. Is that. like, no expression. So again, I had to come down, walk through, that waiting room, go into this room thinking, oh, I don't know if there is going to be a heartbeat. And I was on that bed probably about 30 seconds and got told, no heartbeat, here's tissue, clean your belly. We'll talk to you in a minute. Went back into that dingy room. Um and they basically said, it's quite harsh really thinking to it, because they were just like, right, we can give you a tablet and that can we can we can induce you today if you want, or you can come back tomorrow. Um but you have to give birth. I was like, give birth. I, again, being naive, I just thought, oh, baby's passed, it will pass naturally, not thinking that I'm that far gone. I physically have to give birth. Like, I just didn't know. I was just, so when those words come out of the mouth, because when she said tablet, I was like, oh, that's how it's done. But then straight after, then you give birth. I was like, oh, but what? That
0: was a big, big shock, like to me, like, yeah. yeah why would you know that's the thing unless you have to deal with these things in these situations why would you know and that this is yeah explain things better yeah I
1: was just yeah I was just well I think I was a mess and then they then took us to the little sweet bereavement suite that they have and they said like what's your thoughts like do you want to give birth today do you want to as in start the process today do you want to come back tomorrow and part of me, I was like, Well, oh, the longer she's in there, the longer i was like, She's like great, I want to see her. And need... so I thought, like, Oh, today, but again, I didn't really give it much thought. I was just again, just all over the place. I remember me and my mom, just like sobbing down the phone, like, She's gone, she's gone. And i like, What's gone? What do you mean? Like, she, as far as she was aware, that morning I was just going to have a check. Um, but no, they ended up making a decision for me. They said, You know what, it's been a like a crazy day coming back tomorrow which I still don't know to this day what was better because I went home and just felt numb like family come around but I couldn't even talk they're like you have to get your hospital bag ready I was like for what like I don't need a baby girl I don't need this I'd like what you know you just felt I don't know I just felt really numb to the situation like was a shock? yeah yeah and even now like I don't know how I got it, that's all a blur. Um, I don't know how I made my way to the hospital that morning. Like, yeah, so in a way, like it was the nicest setup possible. They allowed family in the room while I was dilating um and things, um, you know, just to make it feel a little bit more normal. I say normal, but just a comfort thing really. And then the moment come of where I had to push baby out and um and again I remember my sister saying like just before I was about to push like midwife like like, everyone like leave the room now like just let it be my mum and Jacob um and I turned to Jacob and I was like are you okay and I remember my sister across the room was like how are you asking if he's okay so like you're about to go for it but I just felt so bad that I've put Jacob in this position so I had to comfort him to think and as silly as it sounds like please don't hate me please don't like I'm sorry I put you in this situation yet yeah, I was just literally about to push our little baby out but at that time it felt right like to just double check that Jake because he did bless him he fell to pieces and like he sadly has lost his mum but his nan was there so his nan we let his nan stay in the room so she could comfort him when it just happened and I'm so glad we did because when that push did come and he just fell to the floor I had my mum but he would have had nobody and it was really lovely that the hospital allowed that also, but it was just a whirlwind because she just pushed a baby out and gone through all this pain of labour. And it's not a cry. It's not a cry that come out. And, again, we didn't know the gender, so then you got someone saying, oh, you've got a girl. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've, I've got a girl. But then this little body's just been put on your belly, and I'm just like, There's, there was, like, nothing to her, bless her, but she still had nose and eyes and mouth ears hands legs like she was there like just not breathing so that was just really I think I just didn't know what to expect and I didn't expect so small <laughs> I know you say 200 grams and when they said that to right or well, 250 grams, 200 grams
0: um but to physically see that
1: I was like oh my goodness
0: and must have been diddy my son I think was he was 500 and 50 oh. he was diddy
1: did he yeah literally like palm of my hand I think she laid in to the point like we sort of like nervously laugh about it now like my little sister come up and bless her she knew she was tiny so she went to Argos and bought an actual baby dolls clothing just put her in and even that was too big there was yeah but that was just her way of helping bless her she was like I knew she wouldn't fit anything else but I thought a doll's a little baby doll would fit like the clothing rise and yeah she was absolutely diddy but like luckily they had like their own creative clothing to put her in and like we got to name her and Ayla and they put her in a cold cot so they tried to make it as normal as possible but little did I so I went home and I kept saying to them like I am like pulsing blood out of me and mum's like that's not right like your placenta has come out although my placenta did come out in like lots of chunky bits it didn't come out as whole Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and even the middle I think I've got it all out but yeah you've obviously damaged inside a little bit because the way it's come out and then it was about an hour later and I said to mum like I don't know like my bed sheets were covered it was just really bad and then they said that everyone had to go apart from Jacob um and mum's like, look, if it gets too bad, ring your buzzer. But I think we end up just falling asleep. Because um, I think we've been going since seven and she wasn't born until 9.44, um, 8.32, sorry. And yeah, and then I remember waking up to go to the toilet because I felt really dizzy. And I sat on the toilet and thought, I'm going to pass out. And I managed, I still don't know to this day, to get to the doorway. And I remember saying to Jake, I said, saying Jacob, Next minute I woke up and there was about twelve doctors and nurses in my face. I had blood covered in me, these massive alarms going off. Basically I hemorrhaged on the floor. Then I got ran to theatre. My percent wasn't taken out properly. So they had to do the like sweep to get that out. So it was a bit of a bit of a day of it. Yeah, very
0: traumatic, it sounds like. Well done, you.
1: So yeah, it was just and even like that, I just you know, you always have those doubts in the back of your head, like if I didn't have the energy to get up off that toilet, what would have happened? Because Jake was asleep, he, he didn't he wasn't even aware I got up to go to the toilet. Um but yeah, they did act very quickly. Um and I was in Vietnam the next day. I think we stayed in the hospital for about three days with Ala until We were ready to like go. I think I had to stay anyway because of hemorrhaging, but then until we were actually physically ready to go. But the thought of leaving her, that just was so bizarre. Like the feeling, I knew it was going to come, but I think, yeah, having to get like a stranger midwife to come and sit with her while we physically walk out and leave her was awful. It, it was yeah like yeah it just felt so not normal it wasn't natural just to do that um so yeah so we went ahead and planned a funeral and we buried her just because I wanted it like it was a hard decision because mum was like like if you bury like you know you're going to make yourself ill because you're going to keep going to the bed so I equally if committed it was a lot of thought into what was the best thing to do but we chose to bury we had a lovely little family funeral, we didn't have hymns, we just had Disney poems and things like that, rather than anything too adulty. Um, but yeah, so we got all our results back and they basically said that I should have got an aspirin from get-go and I should never have stopped the IVF hormones because where a normal person's body, um, that goes through infertility and in IVF, their hormones from 13 weeks naturally would have taken over but i didn't produce any and i never have produced any so um, that should have probably been looked into that a little bit deeper because that because that makes sense why the baby was so strong on chart at 12 13 weeks to then me coming off them. and in that seven week gap it's completely took its toll so in my in my and jacob's head again fast forward we thought that's what it is like i want to be pregnant again we want to go again we're destined to become parents like to like a healthy baby so we probably did rush it a bit too soon but as far as we're aware we got our results back and we're going to be on aspirin and we're going to stay on all the um right medication and our consultant was like stephanie we know you can Get pregnant, we know you, the baby sticks. So again, I was, I think I was fed with like a lot of positiveness, which is obviously good. But I think not all the right tests were done before we went into it. So in 2020, so a year later, we went again, went through the whole IVF cycle, matched up with um all my all my hormone tablets again. We then went on to more aspirin, so it was an injection and a tablet. So again, everything, we got a positive test, we had transfer, like, that was amazing. And again, we were like, everything's going right. The only thing we did, we, every two weeks, we opted for a private scan, as well as having extra scans. I
0: knew was going to say that.
1: <laughs> I mean, um, if I had my own machine at home, I wouldn't have got one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was just a peace of mind. I think that was probably... most nerve-wracking pregnancy i've ever been through because i think i was scared the first time but because it happened i just thought like any other woman now like my pregnancy should just be fine um yeah so from the seven week check of heartbeat every two weeks and then we did go and have either a private scan or it was an nhs scan um and we also went to a specialist hospital up in Cambridge also, which we got referred to, so just to make sure that we were checked all round, really. Um, and, yeah, so from 12 weeks to 14 weeks to 16 weeks, we actually had one. It was supposed to be 18 weeks, but we actually had it at 17 and a half weeks. And it was fine. In fact, he was flying off chart, Like, he was really, like, Doing really well, and even in pregnancy, I felt a lot bigger, which made me think with Alo something definitely was wrong. Um, yeah, I remember one morning waking up, I was 19 weeks in one day, and I had like really funny like cramps going under my tummy, and I thought that's fine, I'll have a shower. coming like my morning, didn't think anything of it, and I rang my mum and I was just like, Is this normal? I feel like my belly is like pulsing and like I'm um, some bit niggly pains, and mum's like, Why don't be growing pains? You are like quite a bit bigger, Steffi, like this time. Um, again with Jacob, and then as the day went on, they were more frequent. And it's actually then taking my breath away, and I was like, I don't know, something's not right, I don't feel right. And it was a Sunday, couldn't get in anywhere, couldn't ring delivery suite, they were closed. I just couldn't get an appointment anywhere and it got to about four o'clock and I said to like mum and Jacob like, I need to go to AE. like this is really bad like, to the point I was actually gripping the chair and I was like I think I'm in labour I was like no no don't be silly like it might just be growing pains you know cramps blah blah finally got an appointment at the local A E. and the woman saw me she gave me pain relief straight away she's like it's not right, she goes, but we'll take you up to the delivery suite and they'll just check you and make sure there's a heartbeat. Do you want to go on a wheelchair? But again, it was COVID, so no one could come with me. And me being me, I was just like, no, I can walk to the delivery suite. And she was like, are you sure? I can get you a wheelchair. And, even, and there's always going to be what ifs, because I was thinking, if I took that wheelchair, would anything that have happened? Like, was it that walking upstairs? Was it this? And I got onto the delivery suite. And they checked me, and there was a heartbeat. So I was like, "Oh, it's fine. It is just growing pains." Like, but they then sent me to like the gynae bit, and they said, "Let's just check your cervix, make sure your cervix is closed." I was like, "That's fine." They said, "Get undressed, go on this bed, and we'll be back in in a minute." Really bizarrely, like I, I think it was a sigh of relief that I wasn't tense anymore because I heard the baby's heartbeat. So I was a bit like, "Okay, we're we're gonna do this. We're fine." Got undressed, and as I went to go get on bed just this massive gush of water blood everything just come flying out and i was like what is this because of ayla i never felt my waters go because they broke them for me um so i was like this isn't right something's just happened this must be what waters are and i ran out into the hallway and and i was just like can someone please help me and i just fell i just and no one was there, I didn't have Jacob, I didn't have my mum, I was in this tiny little room and I sort of got the impression, like, bless them, the staff were so busy, they were just going there, we'll be in there in a second. Like, So you just felt really like overwhelmed by it all and I just... Sobbed and I just said, and the women come rushing in, bless them. They're like, just sit on the bed. It's fine. It's fine. I was like, it's happened again. I know it has. And bless they probably they didn't know whatever happened in my past, but I just kept saying, it's happened again. I know it's gone. It's done. No, no, just sit down. And it was just overwhelming. It was just hard. Um, they
0: did the um. Sorry. Okay, take a minute. It's a lot. Sorry. Um, no, okay, Please don't say sorry. <laughs> don't apologize in this space. This is our space.
1: <laughs> they did the scan and there was still a heartbeat. So, again, it was like that, it was like a massive roller coaster because I was like, it's fine then. There's a heartbeat. We can get through this. He's, he's bigger. we already realized he's bigger. If they needed to pull him out, he's going to be fine. Um, again, we didn't find out what gender we were having either. So, um but that by that time because they knew what happened my partner was allowed to come up okay i mean luckily it was only in the car park um so i sat on this bed and all of a sudden contractions stopped and everything i just begged them i said please inject me with something like to stop contractions don't let this be labor but again because i wasn't 24 weeks they couldn't Touch me. I my partner was on the phone to Cambridge Hospital. Like, can we be transferred to you? You're a specialist. You can help her. I think we just went into panic mode and just want anyone, everyone, help us. Sort of thing. um My mom and dad were running around hospitals. Just everything just happened so quickly, and all of a sudden, like with the vengeance, like contractions were coming like every three minutes. I was like, it's happening. It's it's happening. We don't know if there's a heartbeat there anymore. It's, it's happening. Like no, we can't stop it. They're not going to stop it. I begged them. They said no. we rang all the hospitals. They said no, we're actually in the hospitals. They can't actually help us. Um, and I remember going to the toilet and I come back into the room and the nurse was like, are you okay? And I was like, the baby's head's there. And they're like, no, 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 jump back on the bed. And I was like, the baby's head's there. I just felt this big ball in between my legs. And I was like, no. Help me, I can't get back on the bed. And she lifted up my thing, she was like, (gasps) and then she pulled the thing because obviously I was upright, there's blood coming out, the the baby was there. um, Managed to like sort of transport them to bed, ready to like push the baby come out. But it was a completely different experience with Marley. Like, and I remember the midwife saying, which I don't know if it's a good or bad thing because it's like, he looks like he just took his last breath. I was like, what? uh, Help him then. If it's just literally his last breath, if he didn't actually like, and they were just so like calm about it, but I sort of wished that they didn't tell me that in a way, because then obviously I fantastically was like, you can help him then. Like he's literally just took his last breath, but help him. But again, seeing him and he was so small, like he was was 300 grams. So, um, which was bizarre because he was actually nearly five weeks behind Ayla. And Ayla was significantly smaller. So he was doing well, as in growth-wise. Um, but with Ayla, they sort of put her straight on me and I could have that moment where with him, they just left him on the bed. What? Yeah, like in between my legs. And Jacob's like, we don't even know what we've had. And this was about 10 minutes later. And I was like, oh, do you not know what you've had? And he was like, no. And she was like, oh, well, I'm not allowed. Because it was in the gynae bit. She's like, I'm not actually allowed to tell you. You have to do it yourself. So poor Jacob had to then open the legs. Obviously, and goes, "We've got a boy, Stephanie, We've 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 got a boy." And I was like, and it just hit even more because I was like, "Girl and a boy, like yeah. like, yeah, like." And I just wanted to hold him. I wanted to feel that first warmth before he we went cold. And it was just such a bizarre experience because then we were waiting for another midwife to come in before they're allowed to put him on me. And then like, and then like about twenty minutes later, then allowed Jacob to cut the cord but he was still, it was really, they were just, we just want to clean him up. I was like, no, like, I just want to hold him. Like, like we had the experience of like, or hey, least that felt a bit more normal at the time. So I think it just made everything feel 10 times worse in that respect. And again, I think just because the, Bit I got put in the gynae room, not delivery suite. So I think the staff and stuff like again, I think they even got caught out. I don't think they even thought I was in labour. So it's hard. It was really hard with Marley. It was hard anyway. But I think the whole setup of how it happened has scarred me that extra little bit more.
0: Yeah. Bit um, more chaotic isn't it but also as well if you had the knowledge of foresight as well like you because of what you'd already been through you wasn't yeah, you that you shield up did you
1: i think that's what it was and then again i had the experience with my percenter not coming out so for about an hour afterwards well actually you'd come down to jacob like because they were like prodding and poking saying keep pushing keep pushing and pressing on my tummy they sent a midwife down from the delivery suite and was trying to get it out and jacob's like can we at least move the baby?" Like. We need to, like, give me him. And so then finally that gave Marley to Jacob, while they were still pushing, so about an hour and a half. And then the midwife come down and like, just stop, enough now. Like, she, like, she can't go for anymore. Like, it was it was just stuck. It wasn't coming out. So then he said, like, you have to go to theater, basically, to have it out. Someone else came in and was like, no, she can't go to theatre. Um, I think staff or something like that, which was just awful. But so every like um half an hour we had to keep checking my pad to make sure I haven't bled through. We try I tried to explain this what happened last time. And then lucky like, in the morning, a really good doctor came on and he goes, Look, I don't want to put you through theatre, like you've already gone through what you went through yesterday. And I just try one more time? And so they gave him gas and everything, and like he was really good. He managed to get it out and made sure it was completely out. But yeah, so we went um, obviously had to go through the whole again another funeral, another burial, and things like that. And then it was just the decision of now what really um we had test results come back, and they said um everything was fine, as in all the medication was exactly right. They should have put me on another hormone tablet that no one even mentioned to me. And they should have done a cervical stitch. Cervical stitch being because he was growing really well. They don't know whether it was through the trauma with giving birth to Ayla has sort of scratched my womb lining. Again, because I was put on medication to thicken my womb lining, it was all well and good. But obviously as the pregnancy went on and the baby got heavier, couldn't basically hold him in. Especially because it was like a heartbeat right up until last minutes, so it wasn't like he was struggling but it was just really hard to come to terms with it because there was a lot of um but your next pregnancy we'll do this and your next and I was like how many trials can us as a family possibly go through and I don't want to bury another child for you to then say oh but next time we'll do x and and I know I'm a difficult case like I've got angles coming from all over the place. It probably was a learning curve to some of these specialists anyway of my health and things like that. But it was just really difficult, really difficult.
0: It's your life, isn't it? It might be a lesson for them, but it's your life, so.
1: Yeah, and it is. And it's hard because obviously we were desperate. We're like, I don't know if desperate's the right word, but we just wanted to be parents, to like a living child and have all that, loveliness so being like young and going through that and like burying two children's just not what I
0: thought I'd be doing at the age of like
1: 26 27 like I know, yeah.
0: it's the wrong way around isn't it it's not the natural order of things nobody ever okay. expects it. that's what makes it so no. hard
1: no and it is that um and it's always the what ifs that like Sky even more and just the journey of it really. I think because the whole IVF thing, that was a roller coaster from get-go anyway. And it was a learning curve as well. Like we weren't knowledgeable, we didn't, we just went with what we were told. Yeah. Um and like you yeah. said probably nine times out of ten it does work, but I am unfortunately I'm not textbook. <laughs> But um yeah, so it was just a scary time. So that's why we had to
0: go and look at different avenues. And that, I mean that and that's it's so good that you've you've done that. And thank goodness that you had other options as well. Cause... Yeah,
1: it was. Because I just think when we spoke about it, like again, like because then we got told, oh, it's a cervical stitch and then you have to go on this. It was like but like I just said, at what point like do you keep going and something else happens? And then we're out of embryos. We're running out of embryos. Like um, we had them I in mean, like frozen. So we had three frozen embryos left, but at how many times you try it well, before you get a good result. So yeah, you end up going into surrogacy.
0: Okay, so that that to me sounds amazing. I've just, mm-hmm. just um, there's a lady on Instagram that I follow who's just had a baby pre-surrogacy. Pre-sur- oh, amazing. I
1: think, I think it is
0: amazing. I really do. And it's amazing that, that the women that do it as well. I mean, I... kind of Yeah, the idea of being pregnant again scares the life out of me. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that women would do that as well. I think it's great.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, how,
0: how you started that journey.
1: Yeah, so with that journey, so it did, it, it was a really difficult journey decision because as a woman you wanted to be the one to carry and you wanted the one to give birth and you wanted the one to be like technically yeah you didn't mind being the one recovering and things like um but even my partner just said like I don't want to watch you go through that stuff and I still want you to be here I don't want to have to look after a child without you and for that like really hit home because I was like that is a reality whereas me I was just in it I was just like no I love being pregnant and they said it's gonna work it's gonna work and we've got embryos left and it was it's it was really naive of me but it was also my like I was destined to become that mum that carried but realistically like think fast forward thinking it was like we can't we have to give these embryos a chance I can't give up on them like we spent months creating them and they deserve a chance one way or the other and we actually got told about surrogacy like obviously I just didn't think it was a thing like here in the UK um and so yeah we joined um different platforms to find out what it entails and it was all very bizarre It felt like a dating site when we first like went on these platforms and you literally like it felt really unnatural. See, It was overwhelming because like all these amazing women have put themselves forward to become surrogates. But to every one surrogate, there was like 10 IPs, so intended parents. So it was a sort of like, who can be more out there? So it's basically like a Facebook site. And so you'd put out like, um, I don't know, like a status. And then you had to comment and make yourself known, whether you're a surrogate or whether you're an intended parent. So then that was, it was really, really awkward. <laughs> it was really awkward. And then it was, um, during COVID, so they didn't have any uh, meet and greets. So there's like a lot of socials that normally happen. So big events, whether they're picnics in the park or whether they're meet up in like the local restaurant. And you get chatting amongst everybody and find out who's who and who's ready to go and who's not and who's got a connection. But they had to do it over Zoom so you're on this zoom with like 50 people on your screen oh wow work out who's a surrogate and who's an intended parent and then you're like do i try and bet myself to you do i try and like but they're <laughs> very like introverts so i'm not very like out there but there's some people that are really like hi my name's so and so and i I'm like oh this isn't me <laughs> panicking but um so it was exciting, I have to admit it was exciting because it was interesting to see how it works.
0: Yeah, it sounds um, interesting listening, it's like open up a, my eyes to a whole new world.
1: Yeah, and um, and also I think when I come to terms with it, like, in my head I was like this is amazing Like because whoever's put them forward to carry, they've had the ready test done to know that they're healthy I know that obviously anything can happen, anyone can, but they were healthy. Majority of them had already had children and like, they're ready to help others. So for me, that was like amazing. But it all just felt really overwhelming as well. Like we got chatting to a few surrogates, but then it got to the point I was a little bit like, Does that message sound okay? Does that sound a bit forward? Does that like? And again, the surrogate probably on the other end probably thought this is fine. Like, keep the conversation flowing, but you overthink absolutely everything. But then, really bizarrely, so I'm really close with one of my cousins. Well, with all my family, we're really close. knit and I remember my cousin. She's ever since Ayla. She always checked in on me, like at least once a week. She didn't live locally. She lives about half an hour away from me, and. This one particular night we've just come off a of zoom meeting with these surrogates um well with a bit of everybody and I remember saying Jacob I don't know if it's for us I don't feel that I can be someone I'm not not that you have to be like people like you to be yourself but I think I was like we're never going to get noticed we're both introvert people like it's it's difficult and like my partner he wasn't on social media so he couldn't join the platforms either so it was just really difficult like to think this is going to take years before we connect with somebody make a friendship, and then go down like the IVF side because we still had to go for IVF, for then it to be inserted into a surrogate. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but I think I was just super overwhelmed. And this particular evening, um, my cousin messaged me I was like, Hi, Stephanie, how are you just checking in? Um, Hope you're having a good day today. Um, blah, blah, so I explained to her and I was like, oh yeah, like just feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like, don't know if you've heard through my auntie, but me and Jacob are thinking about taking the surrogacy route. I think it's wise moving forward, but just learn about it. And then I told her about the Zoom and I said, I just hope one day we can get there, but it just feels like it's a million miles away. And I remember I showered, got my pajamas, got into bed and I had this text and it was like, oh my gosh, Steffi, please don't take this the wrong way. I would love to do it for you. And I was like, please don't mess mess with my feelings. Like obviously everyone at Automatic wants to help you, but physically doing it, I think my emotions are all over the place. And I was like, oh no, do you know what? That is so lovely. But like, honestly, don't feel like you have to put yourself through that. It's a massive thing. And then really bizarrely, she said from the moment I lost Ayla, she already had a discussion with her mum and her partner that she goes if." whatever Steffi would want me to carry it, I will carry but I won't approach Steffi just in case it's not what she's going through
0: actually I feel like I might cry listening to this
1: <laughs> honestly like oh I'm even speechless now because I think it was like 11 o'clock at night so you know you you're emotional all over the place like me and Jake really just felt like a whirlwind coming off that Zoom. and then like I thought she was sort of just not just saying it because she is so lovely but a lot of people said oh if funny I could help you Stephanie but physically and then when she came out of that story I was like Shh, she's being serious like oh my goodness like it was, it was yeah it was crazy so I I it sounds so bad I didn't even message her back I just thought I'm gonna wait until the morning let her sleep on it I'm definitely need to sleep on it I think I woke up at like six that morning ready to message her back <laughs> Um, and I was like oh maybe we should meet for a coffee Oh my goodness that is so lovely of you I did not think She's got three children of her own So I just never even thought Like that's how deep she thought Into it which made sense Because like I was like Well oh, my cousin she did not fail to message me At least once a week Although she's got her own busy lifestyle And kids and Crazy you know we all live crazy lives So I was like I think she's actually being serious. Like me and Jacob, like we felt like we were like school kids. We had this giddy little like laugh and smile of like, what is this all going to entail? So yeah, we went for a coffee and we spoke about it. And like, she's very like out there. Like, so, yeah, of course I will. Like, I'll do it. Like, but I think I needed that. Like I said, because I'm very introvert. Like, she sort of just helped everything feel normal. So yeah, we started the process of finding clinic because I definitely wanted to just move at embryos I wanted to try a fresh start what a new clinic just wanted a new I just wanted a new eyesore to us as an individual um so we was ringing around clinics to see who does surrogacy and who will accept my cousin because she had three c-sections so we ran around three clinics everyone denied her and so again it was another kick in the teeth like <laughs> far, like Oh my gosh like we never thought anyone would offer especially a family member like this is just insane like and so then i come to it i was like do you know what kelly at the end of the day your health is more important and there there's a no for a reason like you know i would never forgive myself if anything happened and your kids are left about a mom I'm like no i'm not doing it and kelly being kelly was like we are doing it there will be a clinic out there that will set me because if i fell pregnant actually have to let me have the baby via Z z-section i was like oh yeah <laughs> so yeah we said so i said fine we'll try one more clinic if not thank you but your health is more important and yeah that last final clinic they were completely on our wavelength they were like we'll do all the tests all the scans make sure all her uh room line fine her scar tissue is fine and we'll go from there And yeah, so fast forward, we went to the clinic just to get answers really and see if it can be done. And yeah, they were like, when do you want to start? And we're like, we weren't expecting that. Um, All our scans come back fine. She was on board, we were on board. You all had to go for like counselling first just to make sure we all know the process that's going to happen. Um, she was happy with the whole lot she understood we understood because again that was like a whole new factor to us also um yeah so we all managed to go to scans together we all managed to go to every single blood test appointment until we actually had transfer i was allowed to be in the transfer room with her so then she had the embryo transferred which also felt really weird because she was one on the table this time. So yeah. I was sort of in Jacob's position where he normally holds my hand while it's going through. Instead, I was holding my cousin's hand. Like, it felt really weird, but so humbling at the same time. I thought that was a bit where I'd crack and be like, oh, I'm okay and it's not going to be me or anything like that. But in a weirdest i think because all the staff was so lovely like to us and made her feel like she was amazing or she is amazing but i was happy that they made her feel like a million dollars or so for doing this for us so i think that was really humbling and yeah we walked away again like little kids like sniggling like it's happening like Oh my gosh, got back on that train to go home after a transfer, which sounds crazy. We're <laughs> I mean, back on like public transport or they just had this big procedure done. Um and then yeah, um we had a two-week wait, so obviously she had to scan. And we were actually, me and Jacob, we actually booked like a Plan Ween like, seaside trip. So we were actually going away that day. And we were in a nervous Brexit in his car, like, why is Kelly not messaged yet? Like, why is she I message? message? And then we got a text from her saying, well, to jake because she knew I was driving, saying, are you both together? And I was like, oh, why would she ask that? Like, this seems bad. And she was like, yeah, yeah. She was like, can I ring you? And we're like, oh, here we go. So we pulled off a service station. We both got out of the car. And we put on a now speakers so we could both hear. And all we heard, I'm going, we're having a baby. Like, screaming down the phone. Me and Jake were, like screaming in the middle of this service station. like, oh. baby! like I know, If anyone will pass, I'll say, I'll be like, what on <laughs> earth is just happening on that phone call?
0: That, that must have been really nice, though, to share that journey with your cousin, someone that you're already close with.
1: Absolutely. And I think... The whole way through we were so super close like she like let us know everything from get-go any first movements any little wriggles, like so videoed everything that she could when we met up like we touched a bump like we felt so involved we had gender reveals we had baby showers and she was there and we just made things feel so normal and so natural and everyone like all my family and friends made a huge fuss with her every time they saw her which like was lovely because then she generally did feel amazing like she's gone and done this like she didn't need to like um and I think for me it felt a lot better being a family member I Mm. think especially being a cousin I think I don't know how I'd feel and it sounds really bizarre if it was like a sibling but, but having it as a cousin I think it's enough to be a bit separate but close enough to be really engaged and I think that's what I felt so privileged about is that we had that right from get-go yeah um and every scan was fine and she thought we were crazy because every scan we were like taking the sheet off her she's like this doesn't make sense to me have a look and we were checking the birth weight their weight of how it was and like we got to a pound and me and jacob just come up thinking, and i was sobbing and she's like, what's wrong with you girl and i was like he's reached a pound like to us that was massive because we only got to grams with Aida and Marley so she, and then that for us that was such a big deal and she was like uh, looking at us as if to say like I didn't realize this is how much it really meant to you guys um so that was just amazing just seeing this little boy like grow inside of Kelly and healthy and like yeah and then um so she yeah had to go for a C-infection and originally um only I was allowed in the room because obviously being a c-section only only one partner um and the morning of going in um they were setting up a room for Jacob to stay in until baby was here and they said that Kelly could go the first down because she's had three c-sections so she's more vulnerable um and then they said where's your partner and I was like oh he's just outside in the waiting room and she was like okay I'm gonna, I just need to go check something I was like oh no have they booked us in the wrong day or was he not allowed here at all and they come back they said he's allowed in the c-section room (laughs) oh which literally like because I always just thought like how on earth am I going to explain to Jacob the moment our baby's been pulled out like the feelings the cry the so it was so so lovely obviously Kelly was on board with that she was absolutely fine so yeah we all got gowned up and went into the c-section room and um Literally, the um, one of the uh, midwives like took my phone out of my hand. I was like, "I'm getting the pictures," and like oh. went, you just have a moment. And then as soon as like they're like, "Stand up, look, 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 stand up," and I had skin to skin straight away. They gave him straight to me, and like it just felt so like a moment we have really longed for happened. Like, oh, it was just yeah, it was just I can't even now explain the feeling of having this baby come out crying was the biggest thing hearing that first cry and then having this warm body put on me like snuggled in and eyes were like staring at you like and I was on like, oh my gosh like were your mum and dad like that just felt so strange and like the whole room kept referring to us as mum and dad and like no one's ever called us that before like if that makes sense so, like cutting the cord and seeing them being weighed and a good weight come up and yeah, it's just, yeah, it just felt like everything sort of come together. Yeah, it was really, really humbling experience.
0: And I'm so happy for you. It is such a such a lovely. So, how was your cousin when he was born? What was she like? Did she want to grab him? Like, what was she like? <laughs> she was very much like
1: having like sort of uh, but, yeah, which I think helped us also helped her bless her. like she was obviously recovering from being like loads of drugs up and stuff and i was really worried because i just thought what happens in that moment as in like we get whisked off into this room and then she gets taken to recovery how would kelly feel and again so we did show her the baby when was on the table and she was always like, oh, so cute look at those eyes i was talking but she, like i don't think she really was with it better because she was quite drugged up um but then it was so lovely because then they took us into our separate rooms and me, Jake and baby, while Kelly recovered. And then literally like within like 20 minutes, Kelly messaged me saying, I'm all good. Can I see photos? So I was like, oh, she's good. She loves photos. And then really lovely, like the midwife came in. She's like, we've managed to sort Kelly out now. Would you like to go and see her? So at first I went in and saw her about baby just to see how she felt and she was more than fine she's like let me see him she goes I'm so glad I don't actually have to physically deal with babies because remember with my lot having a seizure trying to deal with baby so I think little comments like that really helped me but I think it helped her also and then yeah within an hour I think once they let her eat and drink we were able to take baby in and it was just so normal she was so like let me have a cuddle let me have a look and then like and like counting his toes counting his fingers and all things like that but she was very much just like we're all in a we're all a family it just felt really like lovely and like I remember like the day we went home that night and she had to stay in and I like I remember messaging her like. Thanks for like, giving us the best gift of life, forever being dead with you, And literally, like, bless her, she mentioned back, like, do you know what? She goes, just seeing yours and Jacob's faces has made my whole life and my whole experience worth it. And even just little comments like that just made it so, like, she felt comfortable, we were comfortable, we were okay. Because it was, it always did feel, like, that we had such a lovely relationship. I just never wanted any of that to be ruin and she was definitely like I am done with kids I do not want that cry. I do not want like this. so that really helped us as well like knowing she was like in that like mentality but it was really humbling at the same time like hearing what she had to say and then her like hearing how grateful we were forever be grateful like honestly like yeah
0: Oh, that's really, it's, yeah, it's so nice. And also, she's because she's your cousin, she'd always be his auntie anyway. So she'd yeah, always absolutely be his
1: made a godmom to him last year. Um, well, yeah, last year. So, like, she's always got that extra special part. Like, when she's down, or we're up there. Like, it's like, yeah, it's all natural, it's all normal. She's got a lovely, lovely bond with him. So, yeah, it's really lovely. And I'm so glad that like, we were able to do it this way. And like we said, like it's just nice to have that baby. Have that
0: Yeah. And it just so it does sound lovely. It does sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. You got your happy ending.
1: ending. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Cousin,
0: but worth it. Yeah, yeah. And your cousin, she would have been so happy when she saw your face because she she knew what she was giving you. Yeah. Yeah. You. And that feeling that you would be in, in that in yeah. that moment.
1: And I think that's it. Like when I got that message, and she was like, "Just seeing your faces alone," and I didn't even take that into consideration. I just thought we were just being these overwhelmed, like parents. But seeing someone from the outside, if that makes sense, looking at us, made like I suppose, yeah, you probably
0: did look a bit crazy and like, oh, we're the baby. Well, yeah. I mean, you've been for a lot, haven't you? So you know. Mm-hmm. So so? How's life been now? Then how old is he? Sixteen months now. 16 months it doesn't feel like a baby anymore He grew
1: up into this like toddler all of a sudden yeah right. yeah good. saying words he was walking from 10 months so he oh. was <laughs> he was ready to go out there and run around and yeah he's he's a funny little boy it's really
0: sweet oh bless oh good mm-hmm. oh that's just so nice uh, um and so I heard you mention earlier about your Charity and yeah. So how did your charity? How did that start? So
1: charity come into it. I think I started probably about six years ago. Again, I just felt I got to that point in my life where I felt like I had to give back. I think I come to like a realization of I have taken a lot. I've been to several different hospitals. I've had some like loads of different surgeries. A lot of people have helped me. Basically, come who I am today and I just felt like I had to do something to like give back um and I don't really know what sort of started off I think my first charity thing, I just literally took it on a win I remember saying to mum and dad I'm gonna raise money for charity and they're like Oh right, okay and then next time I come home I was like mum I booked a venue for the charity event she's like what I was like yeah I'm gonna host my own charity event she's like for what and I was like oh for leukemia in the hospital that like, help me and I think even then I must have sounded crazy because I've just one day I had this thought and just went ahead and done it <laughs> um and yeah our first event it was for leukemia research um and it was just a small little hall that I got a DJ got a few nibbles and basically just had like a disco and everyone paid up like five pound a ticket or something but I think I managed to raise like two thousand pounds and all um so I was like oh it works sort of thing but I think then I sort of just then had the bug for it like Do you know what we can do this and I think we took the check to um Adam Brooks Hospital and just seeing how grateful they were for just what I any sort of money, it sort of then I, it something clicked. I was just like, I want to make this a way of life. I want to give back. I want to make a difference. Um so then the following year I did an actual charity ball and that was then going towards Adam Brooks Hospital itself who helped me and Bedford Hospital that their children's ward. Um, and that was to get certain machinery to basically be in different bays, so that there was not a lot of cross contamination. So they were saying a lot of people get infections because they were low in, like stock, low in stock of like certain machinery, basically. But they had to share it between the whole ward, if that makes sense. I was like, fine, we'll raise money and we'll do that, and um. Yeah, I think that one we managed to raise just over 5,000. So we were able to get two types of machinery, which was amazing. We had a little bit left over. So um, me and my family went a bit crazy in Toys R to Us and bought loads of toys for their toy room, oh. <laughs> which was amazing because we walked in looking like Santa Claus with like sacks of toys for all these little poorly children to run up to him like, is this for me?
0: Oh, that must have felt so good.
1: <laughs> oh, honestly, like that was just insane and i just remember this one little boy he was five going through leukemia no hang just kind of running up to this um like sketching board and he was like it's mine mummy, it's all mine and that just melted my heart and from again from that moment i turned to my mum at the time and i was like we have to carry this on like it has to be done and then the so following year from that, there was a little girl in Bedfordshire that needed to get to America for treatment because she had cancer. And I remember seeing it plastered everywhere and I was like, we need to help. Like, if that was my little one, I'd like to think like there's people out there to help. And yeah, that ended up becoming like our biggest ball. Yeah, I think I was really overwhelmed by that one because I didn't realise how much of a following this whole charity actually had. Um and that was really lovely like the dad came and did a big speech and everything and they had to get to 162,000 to get this little one to America to have this like life-changing treatment and there was loads of events loads of people were putting on events and stuff and we at the ball we did a speech first and said we've hit um, I think we've hit 13,000 um, on that ball and so we did speech to that and then the dad come on after us and we didn't know what they had left to pay to basically get the thing. And at the end of his speech, and he goes, And with tonight's um target, Lulu can now go to America and I was like, We've hit the target, we've helped them hit target, like and like this the applause, the standing ovation in that room—like I think everyone was in tears. Like just to know that this five-year-old girl is going to America to get life-changing treatment was unreal. Like we've managed it as a, as a community, everyone together has done it, and then um yeah, so I think that was how it went. And then COVID hit, so our ball um got cancelled because I at that ball I was actually pregnant with Ayla. Um, so and I only just well I didn't actually announce it but people could blame me tell that I was pregnant at that ball so loads of people were, like talking to me about it so then when I lost like literally seven weeks after that ball um that's when I was like our oh, next charity event has to be for baby loss and then looking into it bigger that's when I thought actually you know, I want to change things about the hospital of what we didn't sort of agree with at the time. And obviously after speaking to a lot of bereaved parents, they also sort of had similar stories and similar ideas. So, and it, like I said, I can moan about it, but then it's not going to change anything. So if I actually talk to the hospital and say, is this possible? Obviously I know their hands are tied and they're limited. And I actually said, you know what, I'm not doing it just for babies. I'm going to try and help our local hospital for women that unfortunately will have to, or families that will have to go through what we went through. Um, And yeah, so I emailed the hospital and explained, you know, like having to walk back through the stairwell, uh, the delivery suite and hearing quiet babies after you just lost a baby. What can we do to help? Rather than saying like, I don't agree with this, but I wasn't willing to do anything about it. I really wanted to help and try and put positive on a negative, if that makes sense. Um, but you know how obviously you're really restricted when it comes to hospital. So I was like literally am I like gonna go down like a lead balloon like how's this little girl from Medford gonna be able to change this big thing so it's a bit scary I like emailed in didn't have a clue who was emailing in just hoping it got to the right person and yeah it was really lovely they got back and they said obviously they have had a few issues but didn't really know what to do about it so would I like to go in and have a chat and yeah and it come down to this, the, it was a stairwell I wanted to change um, because they then come up with, we know that you can't go for your deliveries for you because it's upsetting, but we've got like the fire exit. Um, but then that's a catch 22 because after speaking to people, it's like, well, then you feel like you're doing the walk for shame because it's just this hollow fire exit that you have to walk down after having like devastating news. So I said, is there a way we can make that a little bit more comforting, as that will be mainly like the last journey-ish for some people. Um. So yeah, so cut long story short now, like that's what we're going to be fundraising for, to basically make this stairwell more comforting, more bright, more lovely quotes, more like welcoming, comforting, don't know what the right word is for it, yeah, but, yeah, a, little yeah. Softer,
0: <laughs> a little bit softer, maybe, there we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll that's be our so yeah. event, yeah, I'm, I'm, so, when is this event, and how can people get involved? Yeah, so the event is taking place,
1: Saturday the 14th of October, at the Bedford Blues Rugby Club, um, tickets are on sale now, um, for £45, and that's, everything included, your entertainment, your food, um, it's basically yeah, just basically staring the night with us just to help raise money for baby loss awareness and obviously to help do this whole big revamp at Bedford Hospital just to help people's experience. Um people get involved like People have asked to come forward and um, do their own mini little charity events on the side. Um, a few people have said they want to do like little pub quizzes and things just to contribute to the overall total. Some hairdressers have come forward and said that they're going to do like little cake sales or they're going to do half price days at theirs. So it's lovely that a few people have come through and like done that. So, yeah, you can get involved in any sort of way just raffle prizes, like local businesses or anything, raffle prizes, anything we'll be massively grateful
0: for. Yeah, I was going to say that. So, anybody that's got anything they'd like to donate, any businesses out there that we're
1: grateful <laughs> yeah. <to advertise> <laughs> we'll for anything, yeah.
0: how can we get in contact with you, Steffi? So, either via our Instagram, um,
1: the Hope and Faith Charity, um, or via my own Facebook, or Instagram, or social media of under Steffi Goodwin.
0: And I will put the link as well for your charity's Instagram on the um, when we go live as well. So they can get straight to it from there as well. Okay. But I think it's absolutely amazing. Like you've gone through so much from such a young age. And yet you still you feel that you have to give back because of yeah. everything that's been given to you. And you you're still smiling and you're still and you're still giving. You're still you've got a buzz for it now. So it sounds like but you're still no, yeah on
1: top of my crazy life. <laughs>
0: No, it's great. I think it's amazing. It's it's you know, there's it's it's not easy to try and find some good out of some of these situations, so mm-hmm. that you found something and that you can give back and and help other people. And
1: yeah,
0: to, to other people listening, the significance of painting a stairwell or adding a quote or some pictures. Is huge. Like you, you, you would never understand unless you had to do that walk. And hopefully, you never do. But yeah, it is huge. It's going to impact so many people. Like I said I've heard about that stairwell before. I haven't even mm-hmm. had to walk down myself. I've heard about it, so it's that you know the, how bad it is has had such a huge impact. So when you do, you do change it. It's going to have a huge impact for people. It's going to and it's going to change people's experiences so much more because we can't. You know what happens happens. We can't change outcomes for people but you can change the journey and the yeah. experiences that they have whilst they're you know on that journey so yeah. if you can make things that little bit easier then yeah I think so. and those things are really important so
1: absolutely yeah
0: <laughs> thank you <laughs> and thank you for sharing your story today as well oh, thank you for asking me to come on I oh, know, honestly, it's I'm I'm I've been I'm in awe of you, honestly. I've been sitting here listening to you and it's just you you've gone through so much and I'm so glad that you you've you've got a happy ending. So I hate to say things like that because you're mum of three. You're mum of three now, you know. I
1: know, I know. Okay. I need to keep telling myself that. Yeah,
0: one. you are, you're a mum of three. So you just got you you know you just got two angel babies, but you're still your babies.
1: Absolutely, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, god see, there you go. Mama three. And okay. look at the size here. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that. <laughs> oh, but no, honestly, thank you. thank you so much. And mm-hmm. I can't wait to to for the ball. I can't, unfortunately, I can't be there, but I'm gonna try yeah. and raise as much awareness about it as I can and oh, get well, it.
1: Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, really okay. it's
0: like I can say it's important. It's it's important to a lot of people. So, and including me. So yeah, I'll definitely support that. Okay.
1: Yeah, but, thank you. But, Oh, lovely. Take care.